the Sunday Sermons Podcast. The entire Bible tells a story about a God who's not only powerful enough to speak all existence into existence, to speak words and create the cosmos, create this planet, and then create us, but also the kind of God who made the, his favorite creation in his own image. Not only able to love and to be loved, not only able to find belonging and identity in relationships with him and with each other, but actually designed that way, designed to crave that, designed to need that, to seek that. The intention and the love of this God is amazing. And then, then it just, that's only the beginning because then as the story unfolds, as all good stories do, you see what's called character development. It's not like God is becoming a different or better person along the way. We just see who he is better as the story unfolds. And every time humanity rejects him, he reaches out in love. Every time we choose ourselves or literally anything or anyone else but him he still makes a way for us to come back one of the most bizarre and intense stories in the old testament that reveals the heart of god is the story of hosea and gomer hosea was one of the prophets um, and most of his book is actually messages from God to his people in one of so many seasons where his people had once again completely rejected him and gone after pretty much themselves and anyone and anything but him. But not only did God give them these messages, he had Hosea live out something that gave him insight into the heart of God. And his story did. Because he told him to marry this woman who's a prostitute. But to accept her, accept her past, accept the whole thing, and make a life with her. And that worked for a while, but then she left him and willingly went back into a life of prostitution. You'd think that'd be the end of the story, but it's not. God tells him, okay, now I want you to go and buy her out of the sexual slavery that she has willingly put herself back into as a rejection of you. Take her back again and try to make this work. And so he does. And I guarantee you then that the rest of the book as he's delivering these messages from God and he's talking about how much sin hurts God. He's feeling something he didn't feel before. And when he's saying, hey, but still wide open arms, please come back. If you would just say you love me, I still love you. He's feeling stuff that he never even imagined in the heart of God. Hosea 14, 1 through 2 says, return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you. Return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Can you imagine how much Hosea longed for Gomer to say, thank you. Or I'm sorry. Or I I can't believe I ran away in the first place. Do you know how much God longs for that? We come back with those words, it means the world to him. Because here's something we see several places in the scriptures. I'm going to read one from Exodus 34. Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. 
In English, jealous and envious sound almost the same thing. If you're a jealous person or an envious person, that both sounds like a sin. So that obviously isn't God. God doesn't sin. Here's what that is. In the original Hebrew, this is the Old Testament, there's this word called kana. And it's way bigger than jealousy. Much like a lelon in Greek that we've been unpacking the last several weeks. We got one more to go, by the way. Um, much like that, where it means one another, but it implies one another within a group, within a team. Uh, kana implies a sense of, it's a kind of, sort of like jealousy, but it's really about a desire for righteousness and healing, for restoration, to make things as they should be. Here's a very simple example. This is a motorcycle art, piece of art made up of little welded pieces of metal that my wife gave me. It sits in my office. And for there's a lot of reasons that I really like this little motorcycle. If I walked in my office one day and it was just gone, I'd be all kinds of upset. And I mean that literally, all kinds of upset. I'd be upset because why would somebody steal this from me? I would have given it to them if they really wanted it that badly. Why would somebody steal in a church? I would also be sad because I genuinely like it. I'd be sad because it's a gift from my wife and I love my wife. There'd be so many layers. I could say that I had kana about this stolen motorcycle. Does that make sense? Because I'm upset because it belonged to me and all these other reasons. That's why I'm I, I really wish I had it instead of that other person. But if I see some of you driving a motorcycle and I get all bent out of shape because I don't have a motorcycle and you do, that's envious. That's the sin. Because that's not about what's right and wrong and who God is and who God is remaking me to be. That's just me being a jerk. That's just me being selfish. Does that make sense? Praise God. So when God is kana, when God is jealous for us, it's a good thing. It's a righteous thing. He's saying, you belong to me. Why would you leave? It's like Hosea and Gomer. Why would you go back into prostitution when you've got somebody who loves you unconditionally right here? Why? Why would you do that? That's kana. And the twisted counterfeit of that is the envy that we're not allowed to do to one another. Galatians 5 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. Let's say that out loud together if you would. We do not envy one another. Let's try that again. Ready? Here we go. We do not envy one another. Again, we're unpacking these things that are specifically to the body of Christ. It's not okay to do this. And the reason is because it's the exact opposite of what God has called us to do. We're supposed to be passionate. We should have kana that there's unity, that there's restoration, that whatever conflicts there may be are getting worked out, that whatever people seem to be pulling away, that we pull them back in. We want God's people to be unified. We want love. We want all of those things. Not, why do they get to do that and I don't? Why do they have that gift and I've got this gift? Why Why do they get away with that sin and I don't get away with that sin? That's just the polar opposite of where God is calling us to be. 
Jesus actually spoke about that sin of envy as well. One of the places was in Mark 7. The Pharisees came to Jesus and they were upset because his disciples weren't washing their hands in a very specific way before they ate. And Jesus took that opportunity to turn things around and explain to them a little bit better what clean and unclean means to God. And also to take it a little bit deeper. Notice the list of sins that he gives them that he says comes from within. Every single one of them is from a selfish thing. It's not about, it's, it's you wanting what you want at any expense to God or anybody else. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defines them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. See, what God gives us, individually and collectively, is his own spirit. And the dream, his prayer for us, his dream for us, our prayer, our dream, is that we little by little become more like him. The collective body of Christ has the soul of the spirit of God, as well as the head of Jesus Christ. It's the spirit that is moving us and empowering us and leading us. And whenever we pull away and we start making it all about us again, we miss what he has in mind. Paul writes, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The spirit wants to change us from the inside out. Paul says in Romans, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. He's continued to be, he continues, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement that they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you that same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus Christ had. So that with one mind and with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is why we not only have words that were written down by Hosea, but we also have his story. Everything in the Old Testament, everything in the New Testament, the whole thing is written down so that we can get a picture, a full picture of who God is, what he does, so that we can know who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. We find our belonging and our identity in him and in each other if we get this right. And envying one another is the far outside of that. If we're, if we're, if, if we're consumed by envy for one another, we are, we're completely missing all this beauty. John writes, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God for God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live 
through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and that he in us. He has given us of his spirit. It's always the perfect example of anything God expects from us is somehow or another displayed and taught by Jesus himself. This is no exception. Jesus talked about two kinds of love, and both of those are required for all Christians. One is how we treat literally everybody. The other is how we treat one another. But those lines are blurry because it's love, and it's Jesus, and it's us, and we're his body. So they're blurry lines, but they're distinct ideas. The first one is love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's for everybody. That's not just your physical neighbor, but that's anybody who needs help. You care as much about their needs and their desires and all of that as you do for yourself. That's everybody. That's literally everybody, even like everybody. But then there's this other level where he says, and love one another as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. That's a self-sacrificial, kind of unifying love that just obliterates even the love your neighbor as yourself kind of love completely. That's where your own desires and your own everything is just kind of not even in the picture anymore because you're trying to save the whole body of Christ. You're trying to bring unity and make the whole thing right again, the relationship between God and you and me, God and him and her, God and everyone. Like I said, the lines are blurry. Sometimes it's hard when somebody really lives out this love, they capture it. You see both all at the same time. You just, you see it everywhere. One of my heroes is Katie Davis Majors. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but she grew up kind of near here in Brentwood, Tennessee. And back in 2006 and 2007, she went on some mission trips to Uganda. At this point in her life, you can just use your imagination pretty much any like the dream thing for American teenagers, she had it all. She had scholarships to anywhere she wanted to go. She had money. She was good looking. There was like a thousand things. Everything's going for her. But when she got to Uganda and realized they had the people she was working with, especially some orphans, did not have hardly anything going for them. She couldn't just go back to her life and all that was waiting for her in the next couple of years. By 2008, she had already, instead of just going to college and getting a job or whatever, she had already started an organization called Amazima that was already supporting 600 orphans. And she wasn't even married yet, but she had adopted three of them herself. Fast forward to now, she's got 13 adopted Ugandan children. She's married. That organization has grown, doing amazing things for God. What I love the most about her story is how she sees the whole thing. She says this, I am really not that brave. I am really not that strong. 
And I'm not doing anything spectacular. I am just doing what God called me to do as a follower of him. Feed his sheep. Do unto the least of his people. When you love someone as much as you love yourself, you end up doing things that most people don't do. When you love others the way Jesus loves us, what in the world? But that's the dream. That's what God is calling us into. So one more time, just like last week, if you can imagine, it's the way we're working this through, it's not three separate ideas. It's more like zooming in toward a bullseye. This outside ring is we don't envy each other. It's not all about us anymore. The second ring in here, this is where we are. What do we do? We give preference to one another. Would you say that with me? We give preference to one another. We choose to love one another and everybody around us like we love ourselves. And eventually we love everybody like Jesus loved us. He loved us when we were still sinners. He loved us when we were Gomer and he was Hosea. Eventually that just, that all those lines get really blurry, even though they're kind of separate ideas. It all just becomes who we are because Jesus is the head and we are his body and his spirit flows through us and we are doing God's will on this earth. And that leads to the bullseye. Would you say that one with me? We are devoted to one another. Let's try it one more time. We are devoted to one another. Now devotion and emotion rhyme. But that's about it. That's about all they have to do with each other. Devotion is a choice. Emotion is a feeling. Devotion, if it's done right, is just steady. Emotion is never steady. Devotion is just, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is my God. These are my people. Period. Emotion is how you feel about it on any given day. We are devoted to one another. And I know that another thing that God loves is that if we take time alone with him every day, a lot of us call that our daily devotions. If we take time to read the Bible, to pray, to seek God individually, to worship, to interact with him. And I hope every single one of you do. If you don't, please Get on it because that's the, that's like the center of the bullseye that's going to change your whole life. Of course God loves that. Of course that's a big deal. Of course that's important. But what he really wants is that not only will you spend a couple of minutes with him every day, but that that will actually ripple out and influence every other choice you make the rest of the day and all through the night. That your daily devotions fuel your devotion to him and your devotion to everyone else. What he really longs for is not just that we take a little bit of time for him and call it devotions, but that we give everything back to him and call it what it is, devotion. We devote ourselves back to him because he is devoted to us, whether we deserve it or not. I think another great way to, for me to understand this is, is how the secret service agents work. I, the secret service agents, when they are not on duty, they can vote for someone other than the present president. 
They can do what they want on their own time, but when they're on duty, they're going to take a bullet because that's their job. That's who they are. They protect the president of the United States, whoever that is at that moment. They are devoted to doing that. If that costs their lives, they will do it. And that's what it looks like. It's not about what we think of each other. It's not about how we feel at any given moment. We are devoted. And that's at the heart of everything we've been looking through for the last several weeks. It's at the heart of everything that we're wrapping up with next week and building on in the weeks to come when we start talking about. So as one body, what does God want us to do next out in the world? This concept of a lay loan, again, it's love within a group. It's, 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 we don't do these things to other people in the body of Christ. We do do these things. This is who we are. This little motorcycle has a lot of significance to me. For, for I already mentioned just it's a gift from my wife, but it's also got some cool significance. She, it's, it's, it's her showing me she loves me because she knows I like cool artistic thing. This thing is like welded together. It's really intricate. It's pretty cool. But it's also that she knows that the reason I don't drive a motorcycle is because of my devotion to her. She hates motorcycles more than I love them. And I love her a lot more than I love motorcycles. So this is my motorcycle. Does that make sense? It, it represents my devotion to her, which is, again, why I would be all kinds of upset if somebody took that from me. It's just a little piece of metal, but it represents something bigger. It represents her devotion to me, my devotion to her. It's significant because of that. That, that kanah is not about the motorcycle. It's about her. And that's what God wants us to have for one another, is that kind of, not enviousness, but a godly, holy, passionate, unity-loving passion for one another. A jealousy for one another that's, no, don't go away. No, don't pursue that sin. No, please don't let's fight. No, please let's not have all this. No, please, no. Let's work together. Let's be the body we've been called to be. Let's be devoted to one another. John says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So as we start to wrap up this series, we've called a lay loan, this, this concept. The, the, this verse, Romans 12.10, is, is kind of the bullseye for this week and for next week. And I'd like you to say it out loud with me. Just read it. By the way, today I'm using the ESV version. Somebody asked me recently what version. I don't always use the same version, but that's the one we're using today. Okay? But let's read it together off the screen so we're saying the same words. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Let's do that one more time. Let's read that one more time. Think about what we're saying. 
Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So here's where it gets really practical. How are you going to live this out? That's up to you and God. I can give you a couple of ideas. We don't envy one another. If there is something that's just consuming you, it's holding you back. Why does this person have that and I don't? Why do I have to deal with this and nobody else does? Why blah, blah, blah? If that, if that, if that why, maybe th- this is a chance for you to submit to God. This is a chance for you to devote yourself to God and to that person and just work through that. The freedom that you're going to find on the other side of laying that envy down, you, won't even, you can't even imagine it. If you've been consumed with selfishness, if you've been consumed with bitterness, if you've been consumed with the fear and the doubt and the questions instead of consumed with the love and the devotion, when you finally lay that down, man, the freedom is amazing. I pray that for you. If, maybe some of you are like, I don't have anything like that. I love everybody. Good for you. Praise God. Let's go on a little bit closer to the bullseye. There's probably some way that all of us need to give preference to one another just a little bit more. If you know that there's, as you look at your life day after day, and again, this is not judging anybody. This is not condemnation. This is not me saying you guys are all losers and I know how terrible you are. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying we're all human beings trying to get more like Jesus. And there's probably some area of every single one of our lives where we spend a lot more time and a lot more money and a lot more emotion and a lot more everything on this thing or this idea or this one person or this one person ourselves than we do not only on God, but even on the people we say that we love. This is a good chance for you to go, hey, I'm not going to do that anymore. Just pick one of the ways, one thing. Give up one thing and instead put that time and money and emotion and whatever in a a better direction. And just watch what happens in your heart. It doesn't have to be a wrong thing. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's just something that consumes you more than everything else. More than God, more than the other people. Because, say this one out loud with me one more time. We are devoted to one another. I, I, I don't know how undevoted you may feel toward God or somebody else at this moment. I don't know what that means to you, but if that convicts you this morning, not condemns you, but convicts you, you realize there's some sort of a step you need to make. I'm asking you to take that step this morning, to devote yourself again to God and to the people around you, and hence, eventually, the world more than ever before. I don't know what that decision is going to look like for you this morning, but I challenge you to make it. This is the reason why every single time that we have a service together here, it's not a tradition we see in the Bible. There's no, there's kind of, you can see there's Peter and others challenging people at the end of certain messages. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to sing a song and everybody has to stand and the preacher has to somehow tie it into the message. That, that's, that's really not how it goes. 
But we want to make sure that we never leave this building, this time together where everybody's here and everybody would cheer for you and pray for you if you made a decision instead of make fun of you or try to make it hard on you. We want to make sure we give you an opportunity to make that choice, whatever that is. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you want to give your life to Jesus or give it back to Jesus. Maybe there's a sin you want to get rid of or a a good thing you want to get started. Maybe you'd like to join our church. And all all that means is you're just pledging you're going to serve here. That's great. Whatever it is, please do it. Don't hold back. Be devoted to God and show that devotion by the choice you make today as we stand and as we sing.